Welcome to Playwright. I am. Uh, I'm coming in a bit hot there. <laughs> yeah, you're in a good mood. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a Monday night or a Tuesday morning if you're listening to this right when it's released at 12:27 a.m. It's just our little uh, our weird time that we release things. The pendulum has swung, H, because I, <laughs> like many people in my hometown, are mourning today the loss of the super bowl uh to the philadelphia eagles and i know this is not a sports podcast but mm. i will just say i love patriots we'll get them next time or whatever that means and uh, congratulations on a good season so i am i'm bummed out based on yesterday i need you give me that good energy pick me up i mean of course as um trump's favorite team i can understand <laughs> why you would be upset at the loss yeah, of course. I mean, nobody likes a loser. Uh, that's what Trump would have you believe. So that's right, that the Eagles are un-American and potentially treasonous, as he would have you believe. That's right. And I actually I, I dare not say this to our significant leader, the president of the United States. Uh, significant, significant is a good word for it because it doesn't <laughs> apply any judgment. That's it's just right. saying that, you know what? In the past year, he has been the statistically significant leader of the country. He has led the country yes. statistically more than anyone else has. Well, now that actually makes me want to change the the adjective to severe. He is the most severe leader of the United States. The most sinister leader of the United States. It's true, isn't it? Ever since Andrew Jackson. Yeah, we should come up with a video game pitch that has... Trump as a real sort of villain. He he is he could achieve Wolfenstein levels of I, fun I think to shoot. Metal Gear Rising already did that. Oh yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Anyways, we should introduce ourselves. My name is Ryan Heyman. Uh, you might recognize me from the Kane and Rinson Sound of Play podcast. My uh, nomenclature. That's not the right word. the uh, The name that I go by on this podcast is H. I am Ryan Quintel. People love to yell at me in IGN comment sections. <laughs> you can call me Q. It's kind of putting yourself on equal footing with Sony, one of the largest corporations in the world. So way to go on that one. It's true. Yeah. If it's not, if it's not me, it's somebody else for sure. Well, let's get into the video game pitches today. I believe you're going first today. A combination of a physics game plus job simulator plus overcooked where you mm. play as a hibachi chef at a table cook you know restaurant and you have to use physics and there is foods and timings and you have to make it all happen to get everybody's meals right they place orders you get ingredients to the table you're cooking them and of course you're getting extra style points and people ooing and eyeing at you for doing good knife tricks and oil fires and all that sort of stuff so that's the basis of it let's start from there so this is interesting because uh cooking games have been pretty popular recently there's been overcooked 
as you mentioned, the uh, Cooking Mama series. Yeah. And there's been, gosh, at least one duo of games that uh, name escapes me that I can't remember, but um, it's kind of about assembling uh, recipes. I think mostly like fast food type recipes mm. in a uh, kind of restaurant simulator kind of way. So I'm, I'm curious, the VR angle, uh, this seems to be what is being brought to this game. Uh, what is it that you see happening on a moment-to-moment basis in this game? Where are you getting these ingredients from? What kind of uh, precision is this requiring? Is it more of a goofy kind of job simulator type game? Or is it meant to be more of an educational experience almost where you're doing things exactly as you would do them in, in real life and you kind of learn these recipes? Well, I think some of the fun could be in the setup of the whole thing. So let's say you uh, show up at the table as the chef and then you maybe have a a procedure that you go through where you read everybody's order card or everyone shows you their order card. Um, and this person wants like, oh, chicken and vegetables. This person wants mm-hmm. beef and vegetables. And then from there, their order cards are turned around and you are taking these ingredients, kind of cooking them. And of course, during the cooking phase, you're managing time and all that sort of stuff. But you're also perhaps trying to go that extra mile that hibachi chefs will go where they balance an egg (laughs) on the spatula and Uh they, you know, they're doing these tricks. And then ultimately the job is to correctly cook the food and serve it on the plates of the people and sort of after you serve them for them to kind of turn around their order cards and show you if you got it right. And I thought it might be interesting (laughs) if like down the line or in later levels, you know, it starts with one person or it starts with two people. And then eventually you have sort of three sides of the hibachi table surrounded. So maybe up to like 10 people that you're trying Mm. to remember orders for. And maybe there's some sort of sous chef or some help or shorthand you can develop to help you. Cause it's, it's hard to remember any, I think the, the rule of thumb is people can't keep roughly more than, you know, four to five things in their head at a time. So mm-hmm. some way to maximize that and, re- you know, reward the memory aspect of it and the correct serving, as well as the the cooking phase that would feel a little bit more technical. And I imagine somewhere in there, the tricks can feel a little bit weird and physics-y and easy to fail. I would like if there's a little bit of... um. I guess the word would be assistance on the tricks where, um, you know, it's not completely uh, just kind of up to the the physics of the system because it's, um, you know, that would get very unforgiving very quickly. Sure. But something that would at least be forgiving enough to encourage you to try things and to really kind of go the extra mile and be the showman because I see that as being extremely fun. And I would like if in each of these restaurants that you worked in, there were discoverable interactive elements of the environment yes. that if you were to like flip a dish like a like a fried egg over to one side of the room it would catch the trash can lid and bounce it back to you just these little easter eggs in this 3d environment like you would find in a point and click adventure game that's uh, that, cool um that gives you these like score multipliers and so it's almost like a little uh burnout like or a little bit um like dangerous golfing where you're just kind of flipping these things all around the 
kitchen. And once you, once you really know the restaurant, it's your space to really show off and become the master of the space. That's really fun too. If you incorporate that into the serving portion where you're able to <laughs> like bounce the, uh, the little bits of chicken off of a hanging pot into somebody's plate. Like you, it becomes a game of angles and stuff too, which is really neat. Yeah. Let's take away the weird, awkward physics part of this, because I think that's I don't want to say it's played out in VR because it's hard to say anything is played out in VR at this point Mm -hmm. in its lifespan, but it's a little on the silly side where I think this could be a very fun, showy thing, almost hyper real the way that a Tony Hawk pro skater feels like, oh, Mm, one person goes off a jump and does like 40 tricks in the air and then lands. There's this moment, I was at a hibachi restaurant probably half a year ago or so. And there's a moment that I don't think I saw a chef do before, which is he had something, a shrimp or whatever, and he tossed it up in the air and caught it in his pocket, which was just so strange to me because it was like for no one to eat. Like, I don't know why he did that. Um, But I like the idea of potentially being able to like burn food on these tricks. Like if you can pull off a really great trick with a piece of chicken, then somebody will be um, not as sad that they lost that piece of chicken that could have ended up on their plate. That's a good idea. Like, uh, obviously in cooking games, the ultimate failure state is ruining the dish. And so if you could turn that failure into something that gives you positive points, but is more difficult to do, then that would be a good way of rescuing that meal. Let's say that it's, we turn most of the cooking stuff and the tricks into sort of fun, interactive, easy to control mini gestures or games or whatever. Now you can have a system where you're sort of managing the food trick more and you're looking at the faces of the people at the table to see how uh, disinterested they're becoming. (laughs) And you're kind of saying, Oh, this guy over here, he's kind of, he's falling asleep on me. So I'm going to throw an onion over his hand or something like that and catch his attention again. And it's a game more about managing the attention spans of your hungry diners and then serving them as sort of the end of the level. than it is a game about time management and like taking it out of the realm of simulator and more into the realm of like arcade. It'd be fun if you can find out like just through experimentation, the kinds of things that each person is into trick wise. And so, you know, you have one guy who gets really impressed when you look like you do something in slow motion. Another guy is really into like sexy tricks, whatever that <laughs> looks like. Another guy's like really into using fire. Like anytime you, you do the pyrotechnics in the trick, then yeah. that would be something that really gets him going. <laughs> That's super cool. I love the idea of a, of a sexy trick. That's a good way to get <laughs> Vive owners their full bang for their buck and get them have them wiggling around and all sexy like. <laughs> and uh, of course, being able to serve people in different situations, uh, people that are having a birthday party would probably be a very different audience to those who are on a date and maybe wanting to pop the question that evening. Oh man, could you imagine? So you have the birthday party come in, maybe different tricks have tones or sounds associated with them and you're kind of able to play a little or develop a little mini song in there we can go so many directions with this i of course you know the obvious thing to do here is not just make it one hibachi restaurant but allow it to be set in any number of locales and access to all these diverse uh (laughs) things that you could trick off of there's like one that's like a chuck e cheese 
where oh, it's yes. a, like a kid's hibachi <laughs> restaurant because that got caught on for some reason in this universe. Yeah. And so there's like the animatronic animals singing on stage and everything, and you can flip food to them and they'll hit it back to you. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, I love the idea of... And this thing I I think in my head aesthetically feels a little bit like the Mystical Ninja Goemon games. Okay. In, in the way that the, those games seem to celebrate just huge consumption of food. Monster Hunter does this too, right? Where it's just like, eat, just eat this impossible platter of food. Uh-huh. Uh, so I love the idea of maybe uh, there's a, in PlayStation VR, the, one of the demos is you kind of have access to this duffel bag of <laughs> clips for a gun and you can forever sort of take clips out of it and feed it into your gun. So it's essentially unlimited ammo, right? I love the mm-hmm. idea of there being a raw food station always to your right or, <laughs> or behind you or something mm. that you're like, oh, I need some more chicken. You know, like I'm just audible. Like, it's all surrounding you kind of like a Neil Pert drum kit where like <laughs> yeah. whatever you need, you just got to reach in the right direction. Man, a drum kit type setup. I think that we're rounding in even for a name <laughs> of this or something. We just ran out of time. It felt like time just flew by on that one. <sighs> Uh, There's so many more places I wanted to go with that, but uh, we're going to have to drop it there. What are you calling this hot, steamy dish? (laughs) This hot, steamy dish. I figured I would go into the Tomagotchi life situation and just call it uh, my hibachi life. (laughs) Uh, Something like that. (laughs) I like that. That's good. That's That's a fun pun. On a relatively obscure life simulation game. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's time for me to deliver a pitch now, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm ready. I'm not in my rebellious spirit today, so <laughs> you're here finally we go. gonna do one this week. Okay, good. The show is normal. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to think about today is less less a fully formed pitch and more just an idea of a specific element that I want to work into a video game of some kind. So we're going to have to kind of develop it together. Uh, But basically what I'm thinking is that I'm really interested in speeding up or slowing down time, or I guess more accurately would be speeding up or slowing down the self with the reaction time to match that. And then of course, time around you, your perception of it gets sped up or slowed down. Um, But I want the physics to actually reflect this So if you, the individual, are sped up and time appears to be moving really slowly around you, basically anything that you touch, you would be applying exponentially more force to that object. Uh And, you know, if you're trying to type on a keyboard, it would just kind of shatter underneath you because you'd be striking it so quickly in the real world that it would just be, you know, a, a very unfortunate situation. And so I don't know if I want to make this like a platformer or a fighting game or I don't know what I want to do with it, but I'm interested in the idea of a physics adherent time dilation game. Let's start the clock on this one. (laughs) I love this idea because I had thought of it in my head as you were describing it. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting to have a game that does not have a middle state between those Mm, two things. Like so many games, Quantum Break and the like let you either be really fast and everything appears slowly or be really slow and everything is appearing quickly, but also have the normalcy aspect of it. So imagine a game where you almost have to navigate an environment, whether it's not bumping into things or not destroying things, but theoretically a a very sharp blade or trap of some sort 
would be fairly easy to navigate if everything mm. was going in. You know, if you were moving very slowly, like, oh, this is not going to kill me. I just kind of need to slowly wiggle my way through this mm-hmm. section. Whereas if you're moving very quickly through other parts, you're also trying not to bump into people or spill their drinks or like yeah. uh, destroy a car. Like, I don't know how intense, intense you want to be about it, but I love the idea of you go from being someone who has to escape destruction to someone mm-hmm. who causes destruction. Yeah. That's the thing is that um, all of these, there's a bunch of video games that have kind of a slow-mo or a, would it be fast mo? Is that the opposite? I think so. Yeah, why not? <laughs> fast mo modes that you can kind of switch between. And so that in itself is not entirely new, but I've never seen anything that really kind of takes it seriously and that really thinks about the consequences of what it would mean to be moving in slow motion or in fast motion. Yeah. And so, yeah, being able to kind of toggle your speed would give you an advantage in some areas, but would leave you open to other potentially damages side effects that you hadn't counted on before. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like it swaying between escaping destruction to is yeah. ha- trying to escape others from <laughs> being destroyed by your destruction. Um, I am trying to think of, what kind of rapper can be put around it? I mean, probably Jay-Z, right? Of course. He seems like the kind of guy who would be up for this kind of thing. <laughs> Just stick any old rapper in there will do. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine if it's a third person thing. Because I, I love the idea of taking, say, an Uncharted type of game and mm-hmm. putting it through some paces like this. But I think you do lose the, you know, the feeling that you talked about which is like typing on a keyboard. And of course the keyboard just flies all over the place. I want there to be those kind of like Midas touch moments, those King Midas moments where things that you don't consider beforehand, the consequences, uh, since you have the special ability, it's actually like kind of catching you by surprise, all the negative things that are coming from this. So like when caressing a loved one or something and you end up like breaking a bone because you're moving too quickly or, Uh, If you get, um, you know, pat on the back by somebody and you're in slow motion and so it comes at you extra quick and ends up hurting you or it's creative uses like that or even like um, writing something on a piece of paper, it would catch on fire if your pen is moving too quickly because, I mean, Uncharted stuff is neat. I think a platformer was originally the idea that I had written down that this would work best with because those are kind of by nature physics puzzles. Yeah. But I want kind of the Twilight Zone aspect of experiencing the story and thinking like, oh, interesting, this could happen to me. And I don't think a lot of us find ourselves in those Nathan Drake type scenarios as much as um, something like this would be impactful as something more on the scale of the life is strange or something like that. I wonder if you could think of this game through the lens of a super hot and from that perspective and okay let's here here's a potential fictional framing for you you were a subject to some sort of experiments about people and their mental capabilities and their perception of time or their control of their body during different types of time and so the lab or the agency that created you is sending these enemies are these drones to come and take you back to the lab Mm. 
and you're the only person in your life that can perceive them. So suddenly mm. you have these set pieces that are your daughter's birthday party and you're uh, out you, uh, vacationing oh, with your family yeah. and you have these really mundane social situations but you get put into a state where you're the only person that can perceive the threat. So you have to maneuver around the minutia and engage with the threats in a way that is going to, you know, stop them, but also leave the people you care about unharmed. That's really interesting. I like that. Yeah, that's cool. I, I'm interested in also exploring, uh, because, Obviously, it makes sense to be slowing everything around you down, to be going in fast, fast mo, as we decided yes. on earlier. <laughs> um, but I can't think of a lot of situations in video games where you want to be going slower and you want everything else to be going faster unless you're like waiting for time to pass or something like that, like a yeah. real passive activity. So I'm, uh, I'm interested in exploring situations in which that would be useful. I wonder if it's a matter of because when time when time is going fast right you're incredibly mm -hmm. slow so maybe you have the ability there's something in the environment maybe it's something as simple as the water coming out of your sink that when that's going at a really fast speed right that's a weapon potentially and mm. you're able to position something or angle oh, yeah. something and kind of use things in your environment. Like a wind chime goes from being totally ah, mundane to a okay. spinning blade. We got this now. It's <laughs> a good one. Yeah, because let's say these drones that are after you always are on the same plane of like temporal reality as you are. Oh, yes. And so you can kind of drag them into dangerous situations because you know when everything's in slow motion you have to be careful not to break things because it's really easy if you're kind of snaking through like you know around a crowd of people if you just barely touch somebody you could shatter their pelvis and that's right. not what you want but as soon as you get this drone that's following you into the middle of a dangerous situation and then you kind of turn up the speed again then it's in the middle of like a blender, essentially. Yeah, that's really cool. And so, and of course, in the fiction, we can say it, these things are time locked to you. You are all time locked in these continuous planes of perception. Yeah, I mean, well, obviously, if uh, the government or whatever kind of body is after you, these scientists are after you, they want to create robots that are on the same plane of reality. So you can't just like turn time way down. Uh, live a thousand years in the blink of an eye and then come out the other end and continue on with your life, you know? So it makes sense for them to be time locked to you. Oh man. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I know we're, we're coming up on the, the, uh, the clock on this, but I just want to say that like then towards the end of the game, you can have these levels where you have to remain in fast motion for fast mm. mo for such a long period of time. <laughs> you see people you care about like age away. Like that is like now you're like dealing a, yeah, like time lapse. You can see, um, like moss forming on the on the rocks and everything. It's yeah. kind of this last level where you're aging through thousands of years and just watching the world around you change as you're having this great battle. It'd be so cool. Yeah, that's really neat. <laughs> uh, this like Metal Gear Solid type moment. Kojima, call us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would insist upon Hideo Kojima directing this. Yeah, you know, this actually does work kind of well as one of those Kojima type games that are kind of, 
know, part cutscene, part those slow emotional moments with a gameplay loop in there as well. So it's not just, you know, monkey islanding your way around the world. There is actually some gameplay to be done. And maybe Um, the only way, let's go down to a mechanics level and talk about the the pushback or the risk reward stuff where you have a certain bar and it can sway to the left or right. And as you're in fast mode, it goes in one direction, slow mode, the other direction. And you're in charge of never letting it sort of hit the peak of either side. So you can't remain in one for Mm. too long without balancing it out with some amount of the other Uh, And depending on the situation, that could mean if you're only able to get so far in Fastimo, um, then you're potentially endangering yourself because you know you're going to have to counteract that with some amount of slow motion to to offset it. So you could potentially get yourself into predicaments um, trying to lure your enemies into these traps. Kind of like a standard overheating mechanic. You rely too heavily on one, then it starts backfiring. Maybe it gets you into a state where you lose control and you go to the absolute extreme of that. I think this would be a lot of fun to uh, to use a ColecoVision controller for. Maybe not for the numpad, but for the uh, the little knob, the wheel on top. Oh, that sure. You can kind of use as <laughs> yeah. a dial to adjust the the timing. But um, yeah, well, I'll have to keep thinking about that one. Not enough ColecoVision games these days. You say that the modern equivalent is going to be that dial that Microsoft developed for that computer. Oh, yeah, that's so, right, the, uh, <laughs> the Surface. So that is, uh, that's hanging around somewhere. We could get them to repurpose it for Xbox. <laughs> Very cool. All right, well, that's all the time we have on that one. Uh, let me give that a name. Let's call that one, how about just Temporal Anonymy? And not... Anatomy? That's not right. Anomaly. That's the word. <laughs> temporal anatomy. Uh, yeah, I like temporal tem- amen- anemone. <laughs> An anemone. <laughs> well, it's one of those you'll see in the show notes. Yes. We're going now to the community. You've been, all of you, the listeners, have been wonderful submitting new video game pitches every week for us to talk about, to dissect, and to build into something almost entirely new every time. And uh, this this is uh, no exception. This is a very creative idea. This comes from Thomas Eif, who says, The setting, a facility that is the grounds for an exciting new reality show with some unexpected twists. The game, two players work together to solve puzzles and unlock doors in the facility, sort of like one of those escape room things. If they unlock the exit before the time runs out, they are rewarded handsomely. However, there is a catch. Both players have an earpiece that occasionally drops hints as to how to solve certain puzzles, but there is also a small chance that one of those players might be given directions to the location of a gun and offered the chance to double their winnings if they kill the other player before they reach an exit. What follows is a sort of amalgamation of Battle Royale, the original book, not PUBG, Hmm. I should say player unknowns battleground because that acronym is unpleasant to hear too often. <laughs> okay. And saw with players constantly on edge about their partner, who they need to solve puzzles, but could so easily become their executioner. Functionally, I see this as playing similar to Portal, although split screen probably wouldn't be possible given the potential subterfuge underlining the game. All right, and that's that. Let's go ahead and start the clock on Thomas Ife's idea. 
Well, last week we threatened to shut it all down because we had no listener submissions. And then Tom came rolling in with this great idea. Mm. And I don't know about you, H, but I'm thinking of this as a game that might be fun where you jump online with other people and perhaps the only communication you can have with each other is something equivalent to nods shaking your head no and potentially pointing uh, at each other i think it'd be really cool if you were in separate rooms at least for a portion of it and so communication would have to be through like metal pipes or something like that you have to be standing in a specific place to give or receive instructions ideally like the artistic ideal which is not practical which we wouldn't actually do would be it would be really cool if the only way to communicate was through morse code that you the player would have to learn to not only give but also receive and interpret but again that's not a practical solution (laughs) yeah i wonder if you could do something, put it in a sci-fi setting, and then give people holographic displays where they could throw mm. up letters or numbers or symbols at each other. Um, yeah. So there was a visual way of doing it. I I love it in card games or different board games do this, where they essentially say, okay, one person is a designated spy, or they're mm-hmm. the bad guy. Imagine if you start off in those separate rooms, and you're, some of what you're learning in those rooms is about the other person. Mm-hmm. And maybe each of you learn like, okay, both, both of you have like a checkered past or something. You get this little pre-roll about who you are as a person and then see like, oh, well, they're probably going to be suspicious of a number of these things. Uh, and so you know that that person's thinking of you as a spy or mm-hmm. uh, some way to breed that mistrust i don't you're you usually have good ideas as to how to do that do you have any (laughs) well the thing about this is that there's only two players at any given time and so yeah if one of them is always going to be betraying the other one then that means that oh yeah there's no element of mystery there and so i like this idea of the possibility for betrayal kind of always being on the table um but Asking players to play too heavily into a role, I think, is more than most players are willing and able to give. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've, I've played games before. Um, I wish I could remember the names, but um, games that really heavily relied on you being assigned a character and playing as that character. Sure. Um, and, you know, it it breaks down af- pretty quickly. People just say you know, this is my character. These are my objectives. Help me achieve my objectives. And it's like, okay, that's, we're not really playing anymore, are we? Yeah. I'm interested in thinking about ways that, because this is a lot like the setup that you would find in a uh, Virtue's Last Reward or a Zero Time Dilemma, that kind of zero escape where there's somebody on the other end of something that you could potentially be betraying. And in those games, those visual novels, it works really well because this is a you know, non-player character that's on the receiving end of this potential betrayal. And so it makes sense. It's like, okay, I can do this because they're just a character. But uh, if it's another another human being, then there's another level of... Morality to it, I guess. Of agency that we assign that person, not just like a blank computer that we can expect certain things from. Right. The behavior becomes a little bit more unpredictable. Okay, let's say... We go and down the route of 
the players start in different rooms and we know guaranteed at the start mm-hmm. of one of these levels, there definitely is a gun and bullets mm-hmm. hidden in each room. We don't know where it's a random spawn. You know, people will generally start to figure out where to check, but they can't guarantee how long it'll take them to find it. And then after some inconvenient amount of time, a door opens up between them both and suddenly or like a wall lifts up and suddenly you can see what each person has Mm. kind of opened. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, okay, this guy got to most of the drawers. So the chances are that he has a gun. And you know whether or not you've got a gun. And then there the game begins of you have to figure stuff out together. And at any moment, you know, there's that prisoner's dilemma of do you let this other person escape with you or do you try and reap some potential reward? So you start in different rooms. And I'm thinking of like um, nine, 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 nine doors, nine hours, nine persons, some combination of those words. What if you are in different rooms to begin with, you kind of progress down different hallways, but those hallways interspersed with these puzzle rooms meet up at certain locations and in certain puzzle rooms. And so every three rooms or so you're solving a puzzle with this other person with maybe like nine rooms in total. And so you you're working together on these, but it's also a potential time that this other person could betray you. You've got to watch your back because even though you're working together to solve this puzzle, you don't know there's always one gun or one knife or some weapon that is in each of these hallways at some point, And you don't know whether it's in the first third or the second third or the, the last third uh-huh. of this hallway. And so you never know when this person had a chance to encounter this whether you can trust what this person is doing, you only get to speak with them directly when you are in the same room as them. Otherwise, you can communicate through very primitive means. Yeah, you can knock on a wall, right? If, if Yeah, exactly. You can kind of a signal to the other player that you're around with a, a kind of, you know, that's yeah, <laughs> terrible. Yeah, I should have, have done these that moments like... of meeting up. And also, I would like if each character is just in their underwear, you know, they don't have... Naked and afraid. That's right. They don't have any place to hide a weapon. So if they're carrying a gun, then they've got to be pretty sneaky about maybe getting to the room first and hiding it under a pillow. Or maybe they got to hold it behind their back, but then you notice that they've got a hand behind their back. Or maybe they've uh, maybe they've just got to wait around a corner knowing that you'll come into the room in a certain way and shoot you from there. What if there's also potentially at the end of this level, this would <laughs> people, this would actually probably make people more upset than anything else, but let, let's pitch it just to, to explore at mm-hmm. the end of the level. You don't know if there is a treasure chest there or an item box or whatever currency that you collect to progress cosmetically. So you get different colored underwear, mm-hmm. I guess <laughs> uh, in this game, you don't know if that box is going to be, a one or two person activation oh yeah box right so Mm. if it is right you get there and it is a one person activation box thus (laughs) thus becomes the problem right right the first person there is going to be able to get that right so you have this incentive of a being the first person there 
but also you may potentially have incentive to uh if you're the first person there and you you sprinted there you potentially did not get or find a gun mm-hmm. and you find out it's a one person thing you're going to start running backwards through the whole level to start looking for that <laughs> gun uh, and if the other person has it uh, they're they're going to just go for it so what if it's a two person box and there's only one of you left because I don't want to discourage people from killing each other. Yeah, early. that's true. Maybe you get a lesser reward. Yeah. I think if it's a two person box, yeah, you'll have to do some sort of partial reward system or some way to say like, mm, if you had just, you want to push that button of if you had only just cooperated, you know, <laughs> give you that real actually feel regret for killing someone because it hurt you. Right. Anyways, that's all the time we have on that one. That's a really interesting idea. Yeah. I like that one a lot, Thomas. A lot of psychology there, Thomas. <laughs> that's what I like in my multiplayer games. So now we have to come up with a name for that one. Thomas does not provide one. We could capitalize off of Hollywood and call it What's in the Box. Yeah, because this also kind of symbolizes the box-like rooms that you're stuck yes, in. Yes, that's What's right. What's in the box? You you're are. in the box, right? That's right. <laughs> that was from our community. And if you, the listener, have anything that you would like to pitch to us, a game idea that you would like read on a future show, then you can send that off to playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can go to our website, playwrightcast.com, or go straight to playwrightcast.com slash pitch to go right to our pitching portal or um, tweet us at PlaywrightCast. In all of those locations, it is spelled P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T. H, you know what I like to do when I'm writing my video game pitches out? Mm, no. I like to listen to our theme song, Hello World by <laughs> Protodome, off the album Blue Noise. Thank you very much. We appreciate mm. that. Appreciate the use of that wonderful song. Yes. Anyways, let's go out of the episode today with a quick pitch. Q, what do you have for us today? I want to have Getting Under It with Bennett Foddy. A dissension through the levels. <laughs> That's you right. think that would make it a lot easier, but maybe the rules work a little differently here. Yeah, or physically climbing under a giant Bennett Foddy would do. <laughs> That's, uh, there's a lot to consider there, so right. we'll, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.